Well, we're starting a new series today over the next month called Extraordinary Lessons from Ordinary Lives. I can tell you this, I would have never guessed in my lifetime that God would use me the way he, is, he has used me to this date. I would have never thought that he would have called me to be a pastor, that he would have called me to plant a church, that he would use our church to impact homelessness in Collin County by us winning a million-dollar grant over two years. When I became a Christian, I was on my way to doing of being a chemist and doing chemist-type things. And it never dawned on me as a Christian that God would want to use me to make a difference for his kingdom economy. I was just an ordinary boy from Independence, Missouri. Today, we're going to take a look at an ordinary life, Gideon's, that I hope we will learn the extraordinary lesson that his life teaches us, and that is of living a significant life. I would have us know that a significant life isn't necessarily always the most noticed life. It isn't always the biggest life. A significant life, however, is an impactful life. It is a meaningful life. And Gideon teaches us about significance. A lot of times when you and I go to the, to the Old Testament specifically, we, we like to learn from the big boys, right? From Moses and from Abraham and from David. But in reality, there are a whole lot more what I would consider ordinary men and women that you and I can learn from. And Gideon is one of those. Now, I need to let you know right up front that this Gideon is not the one who puts Bibles in hotel rooms, okay? Just going to let you know that right up front, okay? That, that organization happened, I don't know, a thousand, uh, several thousand years later, but they named it after a good guy. Gideon's life today, as we learn from him, we're going to see that you and I, to live a significant, uh, a life of significance, that there are three battles that we need to have victory in. And, I, and like I said, Gideon, is, is a guy I like because he's just an ordinary guy, just like you and me. He had all kinds of flops, failures, and fumbles in his life. He had all kinds of deep insecurities. He doubted God all of the time. But in the midst of his humanity, we see a person who becomes this great faith leader that impacts a generation. And he was able to impact a generation because he had victory in these three main areas. So let's take a look at those from an ordinary guy. The very first battle is this. We're going to have to learn how to discover our identity. That's where it starts. We have to know who we are before we can do what God has called us to do. Like I said, I'm from Independence, Missouri, at the home of Harry S. Truman. I used to live down the street from his house. I saw history walking when I grew up. Uh, Truman in, in, uh, came into leadership late in life, relatively out of obscurity. And yet he said this, In reading the lives of great men, I have found that the first victory they won was over themselves. I think that's true. 
We all have an inner battle going on within us that raises questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? Uh, What is my purpose in life? Look at how this inner battle happened with Gideon. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Isn't that kind of strange? <laughs> uh, generally, you have grapes in a wine press, okay? But he's threshing wheat in a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What is happening here is God is beginning to work with Gideon to move him towards a life of significance by helping him to discover his true identity. Now, I would, and God wants you and I to learn from this. Now, there is a right way to learn your identity, and there is a wrong way to learn your identity. The way that you don't want to learn your identity is through your circumstances. If you do that, it's not going to work. And Gideon is a great example of this. At this point in time, Gideon and all Israel have been under seven years of oppression from the Midianites. The Midianites are a bigger people. They had bigger and better weapons. And so they could at will come into Israel and just take what they want. They would capture and take and steal their food. And so the Israelites at this point in time were a weak, starving nation. And this is the reality of Gideon. He is working in a wine press, threshing grain, eking out a living. At this point in time, he doesn't look like this significant person at all. Now, the truth of the matter is, I think that picture of Gideon working in a wine press is a picture of a lot of people in our world. They're working in a wine press, eking out a living. They have potential. They have promise. They may even know they have potential and promise, but they are eking out a living, doing the needed, necessary, mundane tasks of life. Maybe you're hiding from your significance, doing little things that need to be done, no doubt. But deep down inside, you know that God has a bigger dream for your life. You've been hiding it through little tasks like, you know what, I'm I'm just going to reorganize my desk again. I'm just going to remodel the house again. And yet deep down inside, you know God's got something bigger. Now I have to admit that during the middle third years of my ministry at Life Point Church, I was in the wine press as well, doing mundane, day in, day out church stuff when God was calling me to something deeper, but I shrunk back. What are you hiding from? Some of you may be hiding from marriage. You're going to be married 40 Four years. I've been married so long I can't even remember this this coming Wednesday. Hiding from a new career, hiding from sharing your faith in some ministry, hiding from a God given dream that He has planted in your heart. You see, the reason that we hide 
is fear. We're afraid. But the good news in this story is that God knows your fear and he shows up. God finds Gideon in the wine press of life, doing the necessary mundane things of life. Feel with fear. I would have us know Gideon wasn't hiding from God. He may have been hiding from himself. He may have been hiding from others. He may have been hiding from the Midianites. But I guarantee you this, he wasn't hiding from God because God found him. God found Gideon in the winepress of life. Doing the needed little things to eke out a living. I want you to write this down because this is the truth. There is no fear that can keep God from finding you. There's no fear. God finds people who are filled with fear. God calls people who are filled with fear. And when God finds you in your wine press of life, doing the little necessary things, eking out a living, filled with fear, understand this, you got a choice. And the choice that you make will determine your promise, your potential. And that choice is simply this. Am I going to look at the circumstances or am I going to listen to what God says about me? If I look to the circumstances, if I allow those circumstances to drive me, folks, I'm going to be all over the place. I'm going to be up. I'm going to be down. I'm going to be all around because circumstances change. You will never discover your true identity through the circumstances of life. What you and I need to do instead is that we need to listen to what God says about us. God calls this frightened man in his wine press, eking out a living, doing the necessary little things of life. He calls him out and he says, mighty Hero. At that point in time, Gideon must have been looking around. What? I'm sure he thought, there's got to be someone else in this wine press right now, threshing wheat with me. God is talking to Gideon about his true identity, about his true promise, his true potential. God does this all the time with people. God came to a, a guy named Abram, exalted father, says, no, you're not going to be exalted father. You're going to be Abraham, the father of many nations. He comes to a woman named Sarai, meaning quarrelsome. I'm not going to go there. And calls her Sarah, princess. God calls, uh, comes to a guy in the person of Christ, comes to Simon and says, Simon, you're going to be called Peter. You're going to be a rock. He sees the promise of people. And I would have us know this morning, LifePoint Church, the same is true for you. Now this past week, you may have heard someone, or may, someone may have come to you and says, you know what, you got promise. You got potential. We are glad you are on the team. Dane. I, I, when he came here last week, I met him. Okay, I've been interviewing him for a while, but 
hey, came, hey, man, you got promise, you got potential. We're glad you are on the team. And you know, when someone comes to you like that and does that, that is a good thing, is it not? But it's not good enough. Why? Because we need to hear what God has to say about us. And so my question to you this morning is simply this. What would surprise you to hear God say to you? Because when God spoke to Gideon, he was shocked out of his gourd. Whoa, you talking to me? you got to be kidding me. If God spoke to you, what would surprise you? For some of you, you would be shocked if God says, you are deeply loved. Because every circumstance in your life has communicated this to you. Nobody loves you. And yet God shows up. And he invades human history in the person of Jesus Christ and says, you matter to me. Some of you would be shocked if God came to you and says, you are a person of faith. Because every circumstance of your life says that you are not. But God invades your world and he says to you, you, I can use you to change your world. Some of you might be shocked to hear that you are eternally forgiven. Because every circumstance from your past says you can't be. And yet God invades. He shows up in the person of Jesus Christ. He stretched out his arm and he says, you are eternally forgiven. Some of you may be shocked to hear God come to you and say, you are a gifted servant. Because the circumstances of your life reveal that you're just an ordinary person. Just kind of working behind the scenes, helping others. But God shows up, folks. And he says, that the least will become the greatest and the last will become the first. You see, what is it that God needs to say to you? You need to hear it from God. You don't need to be listening to yourself, to others, or to your circumstances. You need to hear God's view of you. This is where God began to start with this ordinary guy, Gideon. The second battle that you and I need victory in, that we see that, that Gideon overcame, is this, that you have to decide your activity. You need to know who you are, and after you know who you are, you have to decide what you are going to do about it. When Gideon hears from God these words, mighty hero, Gideon doesn't go, awesome. I've always thought that, you know. No, his first reaction is doubt. He doubts whether God is even speaking to him. And his second reaction is frustration. As soon as God says, hey, mighty hero to, to Gideon, all this stuff starts pouring out of him. I love this. Take a look at Judges 6, verses 13 and following. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. 
Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I love this. God gives Gideon permission to just pour out his feelings, his frustrations. And he does. He's pouring out all these negative emotions. He's telling God all the things that aren't working. He's telling him all the ways that he himself has been disappointed with God and all the ways that his people have been disappointed with him. Gideon is saying, God, it's not working. Now, it's interesting in this dialogue, with all of his complaining, he misses this one point. That is this, that he is the solution to all of his complaints. I want to ask a question. Why is it that you notice certain things that aren't working? Why is it that you notice certain things are wrong? Why is it that there are some things that just frustrate the living daylights out of you? Well, I can tell you why. It's not because God has called someone else to solve those problems. It's because God has called you. Oftentimes when we notice problems, when, we, when things frustrate us, we think in our minds, am I the only person that sees what's going on around here? Is everyone else stupid? No, not everyone. No one's stupid. It's just that we all see things differently. And the reason that we notice what we notice is because God has wired you to be the solution to the problem. Now, just as there is a right way and a wrong way to discover your identity, there is also a right way and a wrong way to do your activity. And the wrong way to do your activity is to say this, I know God wants me to do something, I'm going to wait for strength to do it. One of the greatest traps of living your potential is procrastination. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change things. I will tomorrow. The greatest trap that stymies our promise, our potential, is to say, you know what, I'm going to wait Till I have more. I'm going to wait till I have more time. I'm going to wait till I have more money. I'm going to wait till I have more energy. I'm going to wait till I have better health. I'm going to wait until my, my family dynamics are better. Then I'll act. No. Don't wait. Do what God told Gideon to do. Will you circle this? Go in the strength that you have. We don't think that way, do we? We, we think, God, you give me first, and then guess what? I'll give. God, you give me more time, and I'll give more of my time. God, you give me more money, and I'll give more money. God, you give me a better health, and I'll give my life away more. God, you give me better relationships in my, in my relational world, and I'll develop more relationships. But folks, that isn't how it works. We always want more than enough to begin. And God comes and he says, you got enough. Go in the strength that you have. Go in faith. 
wait. Now let me, let me share with you the challenge that I see as you and I are waiting on God while God is waiting on us. And it is simply this. God's more patient. God has more time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. And so I say this. Whatever you do, don't get in a waiting game with God because you and I will lose every time. You start where you're at. Ray Stedman used to be this great Christian leader of a previous generation who was always encouraging the, the, the church, the body of Christ, believers, followers of Jesus, to unleash their potential by getting involved, by engaging, whether it's in Stephen ministry, whether it's in outrun homelessness, whether it's in some other care ministry, whether it's in children's ministry. He was always encouraging the church to be engaged, to unleash the potential. It reminded me of Napoleon when he saw um, China on a map. He said, you know what? There lies a sleeping giant. And as I look at our church, I think, you know what? Here lies a sleeping giant. We don't realize the potential that God wants to do. But it's got to be unleashed. He said something significant. i, I got to read this. He said, many people never discover what God could do in their lives because they keep waiting to feel powerful before they act. Did you catch that? They keep waiting for some feeling, some feeling of power. And he goes on, no, begin to reach out and act to meet the needs that are around you. And suddenly you'll discover that there's unusual power at work. You see, if you wait to feel this supernatural power, you may be waiting the rest of your life. No, go in the strength that you have. That is how you discover your promise. There is a third victory that we see here. A third battle that Gideon, this ordinary guy, had that he overcame in. And it is this. You and I must determine our capacity. First, you need to know who you are. Then you need to know what you're to do. But then you have to determine your capacity. Where are you going to find the time, the energy, the money, the ideas to do what God has called you to do. You know who you are. You know what you are to do. Where do you find the resources to do it all? Well, you got a choice. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. The wrong way is simply this, to rely on your resources, whatever you have. When you and I rely on the resources that we have, we are going to miss God's promise for our life every time. Whether that's relying on our perspective, our time, our money, our resources. Because in reality, if you think about it, it it's his resources, is it not? It's his perspective. It, it's his health, his energy that results in significance. Now, don't misunderstand me. God wants you God wants to use your strength, your energy, your ideas, your time. But here's the rub. He doesn't want you to rely on those things. 
He wants you to rely on him. Now, here's the challenge as I see it. It's easier for us to rely on our resources. Why? Because we control them. We like control. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel comfortable. But no one has ever discovered their potential in their comfort zone. Only as God has called them out into deeper things, to deeper waters. So instead of relying on yourself and on your resources, what do you do? Will you write this down? You watch God use your weaknesses. Now, what am I talking about in regards to weaknesses? Simply this. I'm talking about anything that you don't have the resources to do what God has called you to do. It could be physical. It could be emotional. It could be financial or mental or spiritual. Oftentimes, we think, you know what? When I get rid of this weakness, okay, when I minimize this weakness, then God will use me. God says, no. I, 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 I can use you now. I want to use you now in your weakness so that people will see a larger view of who I am. Look how God deals with this in regards to Gideon. In, in Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. I just love this. Because you know what God's doing right here? He's, given, he's giving them some pride insurance. That's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, you know, I'm going to work in such a way so that you really know that it's me. I'm afraid. And at this time, in this story, Gideon had 32,000 soldiers coming up against the Midianites who had 135,000. And so God is coming in here and he's saying to him, you know what, those 32,000 soldiers that, that you have may cloud your vision of really seeing who's the one that did this. And so God tells Gideon, Gideon, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pull all the, all the soldiers together and I want you to tell them, those who are afraid, just go on home. Just, just go home, okay? And 22,000 left. Wow. But Gideon's still feeling pretty good. 10,000, okay, 10,000 to 135,000, not good odds, but we'll go for it. But then God says, no, got another test. It's the drinking test. I want you to get these guys rehydrated, take them to the river, and those that get on their bellies and lap up the, uh, the water like a dog, get rid of them. And those that just kneel and bring the water up to their, to their mouth, those are the ones I want you to choose. 300 was all that God gave to Gideon. How is victory possible? How's it going to happen? Well, you need to read the story, okay? But let me just read you a little excerpt, okay? Modern translation, Judges 7. Gideon divided the 300 men into three groups, and he gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. And God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle the enemy, and you take the torch, put the clay jar over it, and take the horn, and at the signal that Gideon gives, gives, break the jar so that the light shines out. 
Break the jar so that the torch shines out and, and blow the bugle so that it will seem to the army that they're immediately surrounded by a bigger army. I'll confuse them and they'll fight each other. And that's the way the victory is going to be won. Wow. A torch, a clay jar, and a bugle. How's this possible? Through God's power as he obeyed. And it happened exactly as I read it. And the victory was secured. You see, God made it clear that day that even in your weakness, I can use you. I love the Toyota scenario, I call it now. We're just this, in fact, people ask me all the time, what are you? I'm just a Plano pastor from Plano. Work with me. My humor's back. And I just have a Plano church. We're not this big, gigantic church. We're just a Plano church. And God has called us to live outside the walls of our church. And I'll never forget sitting down and listening to that Toyota official as they were describing this $1 million grant. And I was with Gina Lavosi, who's the head of our Outrun Homelessness Race. And I came out of that, we can do this. And we pulled those four partners together. I said, we're nothing. But let's go for it. God gave it. Why? Because I think he wants us to see that even in our weaknesses, God can use us in mighty ways to impact generations of people that are going to come. So my question to you is this. Are you going to trust God with your weaknesses? God has a process of using your weaknesses so that people have a bigger view of who he is. This is his pattern throughout the Bible. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 50, it says that David defeated the, the Philistines with only a sling and a stone. In John 6, he describes the story of the boy who brought five fish and two, or, or five loaves of bread and two fish to the disciples. And God used those loaves and those fish to feed 5,000 people. And then there is the story in Judges, Judges 7. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. God has a way of taking our weaknesses bringing victory. Now I want you to understand this process because if you don't, you're going to be confused with how God is working in your life. So let me give you the five-step process here. The first one is simply this, is that he reduces your resources. Why? It's because he wants us to know that the more we live with his resources in our mind, the more we're going to live our potential. It's his resources, not ours. Number two, God magnifies our need. 
He lets us see how little we are and how big the problem is. Why? So that we will trust in him. Number three, someone trusts God with the little they have. This is the principle of obedience. Pastor Lavo mentioned that last week. It's the principle of obedience. You see, will you write this down? Significance is the result of obedience. The fourth thing, God uses the little we have to show how great he is. I think we have to admit, as we read this story, that's, that's not very much. A torch, uh, well, 300 men, a, a few torches, a few j- clay jars, and, and, and a bugle, a few bugles, okay? But God knew the hearts, did he not, of the enemy. And because he knew the hearts, he knew that that would be enough for Gideon to get the victory. I think the truth as I read this story is simply this, that oftentimes when we rely on our strengths, they pull us further away from God. Whereas our weaknesses draw us closer to God's strengths. Next week, we're going to take a look at a very key passage. We're going to take a look at this passage through the life of Hagar. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to invite your friends because this is a significant story about discerning God's will that oftentimes is confusing, especially as you look at circumstances that are going on in your world. But 2 Corinthians 4, this is God's way. Paul said it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We'll look at that next week. And then the fifth thing is this, God works through us to accomplish his will. The bread that was given to the Lord came through the disciples' hands. The stone that killed Goliath came through the hands of David. And the the victory that Gideon secured came through the hands of the army. Why? Because God wants you and I to be a part of his victory. And that's the process. And so the extraordinary lesson from this ordinary guy is simply this. I want to hide my weaknesses in the wine press of life, doing the necessary mundane things where God wants me to use my weaknesses to reveal my potential, that I could be a part of his victory. Now, I want us to remember that Gideon was just an ordinary guy. That's all he was. He had all kinds of flops, failures, and fumbles. He had deep insecurities. He doubted God every step of the way. Just read the story. And yet this is... This is the conversation that God had with Gideon in Judges 6 as we close. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And God will be with you. And God will be with us. 
this coming fall. Let's pray. Lord, I just really thank you that you are a God that has chosen to enter into our world, to open up our eyes and our ears to hear who you say about us. And I thank you, God, that in our humanity, that you see us as having lives of significance, lives that are meaningful, lives that impact other people, a community that you've placed us in, a business and business people that we're surrounded by. God, may we hear from you. May we hear what you have to say about us. May it resonate in our hearts to where our hearts are overwhelmed, to where we would entrust to you our weaknesses, our humanity, our flops and failures. You have shown up into our world to communicate that we matter, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that you want to use us to be a part of your victory. And God, as we get ready to launch fall here in a few weeks, work in us. We look to you. We trust in you. We give you this in your son's name. Amen.